as you turn to Mark chapter 12, also be praying for Darren and his family. They're going over right after the invitation. They're going over to the Atlanta airport to pick up Madeline. And just and driving, if you've ever been to the international side of the Atlanta airport, that's almost like going on a mission trip in its own right. Amen? <laughs> uh, Mark chapter 12, we'll read these verses here in just a few minutes. Men, how many of you can relate to this? I hold in my hand here an instruction manual that I printed off. I was looking for an instruction manual to, to use as an example this morning. But this is a 40-page instruction manual on how to put together a portable basketball goal. 40 pages on how to put up a portable basketball goal. Now, when Dennis Ragsdale was a boy, they just took a sheet of plywood and an old peat trim and they nailed it up beside the barn, and that's in it. What? It took about five minutes, did it, Dennis? Pine tree pole. But here is a 40 page detailed instruction on every nut, bolt, and every uh, screw, and every tool that it takes to put together a portable basketball goal. Now, men, let me ask you this, and you be honest with me. What is the first thing, Matthew, when you get this in your hand, what's the first thing you do with it? You throw it away. What we do, we take this and we do this. Well, I don't need that. I ain't got to have that. I'm a man. I got craftsman tools. I can handle this. About an hour later, what are we looking for? Your wife. <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? Shirley? No, you. Oh, it is true. Well, well, I don't like any of y'all. I, I, I showed up the other morning to put together bicycles, and somebody said, where are your tools? And I said, Bree wouldn't let me borrow her tools. But that's what we do. We've thrown away the instructions, and the first thing we do when we get to a difficult part, we're going through the trash trying to find those instructions that we threw away. Now, how is that similar to our lives as Christians and in our, our, our spiritual lives? We all need direction. We all have to go back sometimes and find the owner's manual and the instruction on how to put things together and how to do things. And we don't want to admit it, but we have to. And sometimes in this life as Christians, we get to a point to where we think we've been through everything, we've seen everything, we've done everything, and we're okay. And we can handle anything that comes our way. And we can, we can manage it and we can handle it. And we don't have to worry about things anymore. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes something that we weren't expecting. It may be a spiritual or a financial or a health or a family problem. doesn't matter what it is, but it pops up and we realize that we need to go back to the instruction manual. And we need to go back and we need to dust this off and we need to pull it down and we need to, to spend time in it and we need to understand that God has left us detailed instructions, a blueprint, a map for this life. We have the opportunity to hold in our hands something that is as alive as any other being on this planet. It is the true mind of God. And he's left it for us. The Apostle Paul says this to us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 
He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, in the account that we're about to read here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, Jesus is asked a very pointed question. And in answering that question, Jesus gives the most concise and wise answer, and he brings all of the Old Testament law to a definite, definable point of belief. He gives us all of the law in one statement here. Let's read this text together, beginning in verse number 28. Jesus has just had a discourse He's had a, a, a discussion, really uh, an argument with the Sadducees who don't believe in a resurrection. Jesus has used the Old Testament uh, to the, the scriptures that they actually study every day to refute their argument. And now there is a scribe who is there among the crowd who has come to hear this argument. And he asks a question. In verse number 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right. Teacher, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Sometimes we get good advice in this life. Jesus gives some good advice from long ago here. He goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I saw this good advice given to somebody this week. Someone posted this on social media as advice to other people. He said, never have more children than you can have car windows. It's pretty good advice. But here's the trouble. How many of you realize this about advice? The trouble with good advice is that it usually interferes with our plans. The trouble with good advice is that it usually interferes with our plans. Now, in verse number 28, this scribe asked Jesus a question there when he says, which is the most important of all of the commandments? Which commandment is the most important? Now, this scribe has a, a very unusual job, and it is a very important job in the Jewish community. This scribe takes the Old Testament scriptures, what we call the Old Testament scriptures. He takes the Torah, or those first five books uh, there that Moses had written, and he scribes those. He writes those. If I went into the detail of all that he had to do, it, we'd be here all day. But he actually, word for word, copies those, and he, he is a student of the word, and he knows God's word from Moses there. Those command, he knows the law 
better than probably anyone who is there. He has, he has been a student of it for most of his life. And he has a very important job. And so he has come here, he's initially come to witness this confrontation between Jesus and the Sadducees. See, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. And they try to trap Jesus here by asking him questions about the resurrection. And Jesus takes the very word that they study and he refutes their argument and uses the word of God to prove his point and to prove them wrong. Now, this scribe really doesn't like the Sadducees. He doesn't believe in their doctrine and he really doesn't like them. He feels that they're an odd group of people. But he's rooting for them in this argument against Jesus because of this reason. The Sadducees have a religion of human achievement. They believe that their works are what will get them access to God in eternity. They believe that the more good works they do, the more good standing that they're in. Sadly, we live in a day where there are still many people who believe that. We're praying for people right now who will tell you that they are good people and that they do good things and that their good things have outweighed the bad things that they do in their life. And, and even though they are older in age and they are close to eternity, they'll tell you that I'm okay because I've been a good person. They believe that their works are what will get them to heaven. It's not a faith in Jesus and a faith in grace through him. Jesus is a threat to this scribe's belief system just as he is to the Sadducees. Now the scribes, he, Jesus has, has shot down their argument on the resurrection and Jesus gives an answer here that really can be broken down into this simple statement. What you yourself hate, don't do to your neighbor. That's the whole law. The rest is commentary and go and learn it. Uh, that comes from a, a Jewish rabbi many years later who, uh, who said these, these words. And now Jesus answers here in verse number 29 through 31. He said the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, the first part of Jesus' answer is known to everyone who's standing there because it was from what we call the Shema Israel. And it's, it's there found, we would find it in our scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And it is the opening statement uh, of every synagogue worship service that every Jew has ever attended. It is familiar, it is as familiar to them as the song Amazing Grace would be to us or the verse John 3.16 would be. They hear this verse every time they gather together in their synagogue for worship. It begins, Hear, O Israel. And it's, it's, it's repeated over and over. Pious Jews would get up every morning and repeat this, and every evening before they went to bed, they would repeat it. It was worn by many Jews in a little leather box called a phylactery, and they would wear it on, the, on their forehead or on their wrist while they were praying. They would recite these words. It's the creed of Israel. It's the creed of the Jewish people. 
It would be like our national anthem or, or the Pledge of Allegiance to us. It was, it was deep in their hearts, and it was something that was sacred to them. And Jesus knows this. And so Jesus takes the argument that they have here and the discussion that they have here, and what does Jesus do? He gives them what is most familiar to them to show them that he is the answer to everything that they've ever, every question that they have ever had. He it goes into the heart, soul, mind, and strength. These that weren't a breakdown or a psychological analysis of human personality. Here's what it simply means. It simply means that everything about us is to be devoted to loving God. It doesn't take much of a man to be a believer, but it takes all of a man to be a believer. It takes all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind to be a believer and a follower in Jesus. So Jesus begins to give them the advice from long ago that they're already familiar with, and then he begins to teach them about giving their all in love. The second part of Jesus' answer is taken from Leviticus 19.18 when it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. This is also familiar to every Jew. This is also something that every person there knows and understands, and they've heard this since they were a child. They've heard it said that, that Moses has written in the law that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what makes this situation so unique. Other rabbis and other teachers that they have heard have told them that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Other rabbis and teachers have told them you should love your neighbor as yourself. But this is the first time in the history of teaching that Jesus takes these two concepts and he brings them together and he fuses them together and he says not only should you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and strength, but you should also pair that with loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this was something that this scribe, as he hears Jesus take these two concepts that are apart from each other, and Jesus brings them together, and he welds them together, the scribe, all of a sudden, his heart is beginning to race because this is something that hasn't happened before. Jesus is teaching with an authority and a distinction that no one has ever heard before. And now there is something different about this. There's implications here that are dynamic. First of all, Jesus has taken all of the Ten Commandments and he has brought them. He brings the first four commandments together, which have to do with our love for God in Exodus chapter 20 verses 2 for 11, and then the second part of his answer summarizes the last six, which has to do with our love for others in verses number 12 through 17 in Exodus, and he makes them totally comprehensive, and for the first time, he relates the first four to the second six, and it is something that is unusual for these men to hear. Now, secondly, Jesus' answer shows that love for God and love for others can't be separated. You can't love God and not love others. 
And this teaching that Jesus has here, this teaching has a powerful impact on the church that will be established after Jesus leaves and ascends back to heaven. The first century church that Paul and the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter and the others will establish, this becomes a key component to their teaching. It becomes key to them to tell people that if you love God, who you have not seen, you will demonstrate that love by loving your fellow man who you see each and every day. John the Apostle will go so far as to say, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Are you able to say, when you say that I love God, I am a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I love God, are you able to say that you love all of mankind as a result? Because what the Apostle John says there is that if there's not a love for others in your heart, then you really don't have a love for God. Understand? We get that concept? It's, it's, it's the, that old saying, the proof is in the pudding. Our proof for our love for God is in our proof for how we love other people. Now, let's be honest. Do you like everybody you know? You don't have to raise your hand. No. There are times in, in, in life where we're not going to like everything that everybody does. There are times in our families, in our homes, in, our, in situations where we're not going to like what goes on. We're not going to like the things that happen. We're not going to like situations. But there is always a point to where we have to be able to say, I can love that person through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can show that person love through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of times when, when I go home and there's three people there in my house that don't like me at all. But they have to love me. My name's on the mortgage. <laughs> my name's on the deed. They have to love me. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's the... We demonstrate... Bree's telling me her name's on there too, so I have to love her. But we demonstrate our love for God and our love for other people. Some of you demonstrated that love this week. You, you gave up a week of your life to come and to be in a room with two and three-year-olds or fourth and fifth graders or third graders or, or you worked in a kitchen or you worked in crafts and you were over, you went home at the end of every day and, and said this statement, I'm not doing this again next year. But, you, but God has put a love in your heart that next year God will say, okay, it's time for Bible school and you'll say, oh, I love those children so i got to go. I love to see children come through this baptistry who've, who've made Jesus Christ their Savior, so I have to go. You see, I didn't love everybody before I was a Christian. Mainly, the, the person I loved more than anybody else was me. And, and, and I, love, I may have loved you, but it wasn't near as much as I loved me. But here's what happened after I became a Christian. As the Holy Spirit began to work in me and to begin to chip away that old person, I began to love other people as much and then love other people more than what I love myself. And, and Jesus is saying if we love God, we're going to demonstrate it through loving other people. And then third, Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself is radical as a radical concept in the call to human love. As yourself raises the standard and gives us no wiggle room. We have to love other people as we love ourselves. As I said earlier, 
If there's something that you hate, you don't do that to your neighbor. I live in a neighborhood with a, with a, a whole lot of people who love to cut grass. They, 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 I, I see them out in their, on their lawnmowers and stuff. Some of them are church members here. They get it, and, and they do big smiles on their face cutting grass. I hate to cut grass. And if they loved me, they'd come and cut mine. But here, here's the thing. I love my neighbors, so I cut my grass so before they get a petition up against me. But what I love, what I, what I hate, I wouldn't do to, to my neighbor. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to them. Now, Jesus, in the book of Luke, this, this discourse is followed by what, what amazing story? The Good Samaritan. This story, this discourse is followed by the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus goes into great detail when someone asks him, Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. And in that story of the Good Samaritan, when that story is over, what does everybody there know about? Everyone there knows that everyone who exists is who? Is my neighbor. Everyone is my neighbor. So this is giving your all in love. Jesus gives them this story. And then the scribe answers Jesus back and says to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He's oh so close. There's this light bulb moment here for this scribe. There's this moment for where the first time, the first time in all of his life, all the things that he has read and all the things that he has studied and all the things that he has been writing and, and, and copying, they all now, they're not just words on a page, but they have now become alive in his heart. They are now speaking to his heart. John Wesley, John Wesley, who was one of 19 children in the 1700s in England, John Wesley, who is responsible for what we now call the Methodist Church, especially the United Methodist Church that we know, John Wesley's mother would sit and take time with all 19 of those children individually and give them instruction in the knowledge of God and, and, and of Jesus Christ. And John Wesley would later say that he grew up under this teaching and under this vast knowledge that his mother would give him. It, it went on that he went away uh, from her and that he would meet with a group of men and spend time in prayer and Bible study. And they would read the scriptures and, and he would pray. And then one day... He randomly opened his Bible to a place where it said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And he read the account of the scribe here who said that to love him in this way, to love God in this way, was better than any sacrifice that we could ever make. And John Wesley said it was at that point that he realized that he had great knowledge of God in his head, but he had never moved that knowledge through his heart through asking for forgiveness of his sins 
and wholly committing his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he'd been hearing the word and being instructed in the word since he was a boy. But it was at that moment in reading those scriptures that he said the word of God came alive in his heart and he realized that he had a lot of knowledge in his head but that Jesus was not his savior and that Jesus was not the center of his life. And so as a result, John Wesley knelt to his knees and he asked the Lord to forgive him of his sins and he asked the Lord to lead him in his life and as a result, not only was the Methodist church born, but many historians tell us that because of John Wesley's conversion and the great awakening that followed him and the thousands and thousands of people there in England who became followers of Jesus, that it helped those people to focus their lives spiritually away from the political things that were happening and they probably averted a, a revolution like what happened in France where thousands of people lost their lives. John Wesley came to a point to where he said, I have a lot of knowledge here, but I don't have the Holy Spirit here. And there, there's a difference there. Something's not connected. In my own life, I can tell you that this, um, this was much my own story. There was a light bulb moment there where I, I knew I had been in church since I was four years old. I had been attending church, and I had heard many numerous Bible stories and, and Bible studies and many, many sermons, and I knew, all of, I knew all of the songs in the hymnal by heart. And I, I knew all those things. And I will go as far as to tell you that as a young man, I believed that this was absolute 100% true, that there was not one error in this book, that it was infallible and that it was inerrant. And I would tell you that I knew here that Jesus Christ came to this earth to give his life for the sins of mankind. I knew all those things. And here's what I was. I was oh so close, but yet I was so divided. I was so far away. I was this close, but yet I was so, so far away. Let me warn you. This is a warning. This is, not, this is a compliment to the scribe. Jesus is complimenting the scribe. He's saying, I see this coming alive in you, and, and I'm not here just to give you this knowledge. I am here for your soul. I am here to win your soul. And he's saying to the scribe, I am so happy that you understand this now, but it's also a warning to the scribe. You are very close to the kingdom of God, but yet you're still very, very far away because you have not taken what is here and put it here. And so it's a warning. Being close is decisively separated when it comes to our soul. But there was this moment in time in my life, to where the Holy Spirit dealt with me and, and made it plain to me, you know these things, you understand these things, you, 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 you have a lot of knowledge. But hell is full this morning of people who believe that the Bible is true. They're, they're, the hell is full this morning of people who believe that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God and that He came to save mankind. They believed that. But what, did, what, what does the scripture tell us? Even the demons believed and trembled. Our belief has to be put into faith. Our belief has to be moved from just a knowledge here in our head. And when the Holy Spirit becomes real and, and, and deals with our hearts, when the Holy Spirit comes and takes that knowledge, those words that we've heard, this week in Bible school as I sat here in this auditorium with children and, and you begin to ask them questions and, and they begin to tell you why they're there and you can see and understand, you, you can just sense in some of them that it is a moment where what they learned, the Holy Spirit has taken what they have learned and He has begun to point them to Jesus and he has begun to say to, to let them know in their minds what, what they've learned in their minds to take into their hearts. And you can and they understand the concept of sin and forgiveness and the death, burial, and resurrection. And from that point, the Holy Spirit begins to take control and he begins to lead them to Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And it's so important that when we do Vacation Bible School that we are careful there in those moments to help those children to understand where they are spiritually and to get the parents to reinforce those things with them. And I'm so grateful that there was a moment to where when I was oh so close that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, let's close that gap. Let's close that gap. And you need to, at this moment, you need to bow your will to the will of God and say to him, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner and I can't do anything about that sin on my own. And I want you to forgive me of that sin and I want to turn away from that sin and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. And I want to know that I am safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. And at that moment, I can tell you, I, I can remember, I can remember oh so well a peace later on that came over me that's so hard to describe. I, I couldn't describe it all. If I took all day, I couldn't describe it. But it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And from that moment on, let me tell you, it's not been, it's not been a, an easy journey. It's been a difficult journey many times. But I tell you this, it has been a journey that I have not gone through by myself. Jesus Christ has been with me every step of the way, through the good times, through the bad times, through the difficult times, and through the times of rejoicing. No matter what, Jesus Christ has been with me there in those times. And he made me a promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you until the end. And I count on that promise for the rest of my life. And this morning... There was a scribe who knew more about the scripture, who knew more about the word of God than anyone standing there in his circle. But the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart that day and it became an aha moment where he said, I've got to take what's here and put it here and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. The story didn't go on to tell us what happened after that, but I, I hope someday to meet this scribe and for him to tell me about that account there that day that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ and for him to say, as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. 
But I, 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 I want to I know that. But I know that personally in my own life. And just as these children have demonstrated here this morning in coming to knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I'm confident that as I speak in this congregation, in this auditorium, there are, there are many here this morning who could say, I have a lot of knowledge here, but I don't have the Holy Spirit living in my life the way you've just described. I don't have a point in time in my life where I can say that I said to Jesus, I need forgiveness of my sins, and I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to save me from my sins. This morning, I want to give you that opportunity to come, as I've described today, and know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We, will, we have a time here of invitation. It's a time of praise. It's a time of worship. It's a time of invitation. It's a time for you to pray about whatever matter you have in your life. But most importantly, it's a time where if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's a time for you to come and to let me take Scripture and to show you how you can leave here today knowing that you are secure and safe in the arms of Jesus and that you have eternal life with Him and He will walk with you through this life. As Darren comes to lead us in a time of invitation, as you stand, Father, I pray this morning. I pray for those who have heard your word this morning. Father, I have, I have as completely as I possibly know how, given your word. Father, now it's, it's, it's your Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God who will deal with hearts. And Father, I pray that he will point them to Jesus and that they will come to a clear understanding this morning of forgiveness of sin and life eternal with the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those who are oh so close this morning that before they leave here, they know that they bridge that gap and that Jesus is their Savior. I pray for those here this morning who have being Christian, who are a Christian and they've struggled with baptism, they need to be baptized, I pray that they would make that publicly known this morning or if they need to join this church through membership, whatever it is this morning, I pray to God as we use this time wisely that they would do so. In Jesus' name, amen.